0: The scripture reading today is Malachi 2, 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have I wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in the former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers. Against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning. Um, I'm Jan, as James introduced me earlier. It's great to join you this morning uh, and a privilege to uh, open God's Word with you. Um, as James said, I'm currently a student at Trinity Theological College, and every once in a while um, I'm let off the chain and allowed to preach, uh, and this is one such occasion. Uh, now this morning, as we just heard, we're in the book of Malachi, uh, which might not be familiar to us. Uh, So let me get started by uh, introducing us to the context of the book. And strangely enough, I'll do that uh, by introducing you to perhaps America's most accomplished athlete, Tom Brady. Uh, He's played in the NFL or the, the Gridiron League for 21 years and won every accolade a player could dream of. In fact, he'd already done this by the mere age of 27 He'd won three Super Bowls, three championships, was already a millionaire, um, and had all the fame you could hope for. He'd been the face of clothing, of watches, and even mattresses. So during the day, you could be wearing him, he would keep you on time, and at night, you could rest knowing he's got your back. (laughs) So he had reached the pinnacle. And yet, he said these astonishing words in an interview. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something great out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Tom Brady achieved what few of us ever will, the the dream life, the perfect life. And yet he wasn't satisfied, he wasn't all that he hoped for. And this is the very experience of our listeners uh, to this passage, the initial hearers, the people of Israel. They thought they had reached the pinnacle, they thought they had reached the perfect life, but they soon realised not everything was as it seemed. Uh, these people were living about 450 years before Jesus, uh, and they're back in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. They're out of exile after many years, um, and in the land where God promised to make them a great nation, to give them rest from their enemy, enemies and give them great blessings. God had promised this to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, and he had reaffirmed this promise to every generation since. But sadly, this is not how it turned out to be. While they're in the land, their enemies still ruled them. They were only allowed to live in Israel because their Persian masters permitted them. And only a small number, a remnant, made it back to the land. This current generation have read of the great prosperity under King Solomon and King David, how foreign powers like the Queen of Sheba would come just to see how great God, how great the blessings were on God's people. But they now recognise this Jerusalem is far less impressive than the previous one. You may be familiar with the story of the great disappointment of the new temple. About a century earlier, when the people of Israel were exiled from the land, the temple built by Solomon was destroyed. So as they return, Nehemiah leads a party to rebuild the temple. But as the foundation is laid... People are weeping rather than rejoicing. They remember the glory of the old temple and they realise this new temple is not going to compare. To give us a small glimpse of what this must have felt like, imagine the Sydney Harbour Bridge, that glorious bridge. Imagine that's destroyed and in its place, the Perth narrows. Or imagine the Big Ben of, the, the Big ben of London... Imagine that was destroyed, and in its place, the Perth Bell Tower. Um, It's not even a comparison, it's just a great disappointment. And this is the place where Israel go to meet God, to be with God. So their ecstasy and expectation of returning to the Promised Land is dashed, and instead they're despondent and depressed. Now, all of this leads the people to approach God with apathy and indifference. Their religious activities become burdensome, as they don't seem to have any spiritual effect. Injustice is reigning everywhere in their lives. The political readers, uh, leaders are breeding corruption, while their very own priests are serving themselves, rather than God and His people. And so, this brings us to our passage in Malachi. This is the context um, of the passage we just heard. And these words were given to a man named Malachi. Now, Malachi was given a specific role by God. He was commissioned to be a prophet, to speak God's Word to God's people. He was to remind them how to live as God's people in this context. And our passage begins with Malachi putting words to the people's attitude. So if you have your Bible or the um, service outline, it would be helpful to turn there and have a look with me at verse 17. This is the attitude of the people. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and He is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? God's people are looking at the lives of those who don't fear God and it appears the grass is greener. Their lives seem better. They look at them and say, God must like these people. They're the ones getting on in life. They're being blessed and we're not. They prosper by living for themselves without giving God one moment of their attention. It's like the person at work who lies and cheats against colleagues and even clients and yet receives praise from their boss. Or it's like a child who misbehaves right in front of their parents and yet is given more treats. God's people are backsliding and badly. It's not just their thoughts, it turns into their behaviour. They think, why bother to serve, to obey, to give more time, money, energy, if it makes no difference? All of it is useless, down the drain. Why not just live for myself? Now, it would be wrong for us to think that this behavior is just isolated to the people of Malachi. We too can be just as cynical. We can think that following God is just not worth it. The words in verse 17 can be our thoughts, can be even our own words. If we're honest, we can often be led to believe the Christian life is only going to be great. And let me say, there are great things about being a Christian, there's no doubt. But our life is not just great. Things get harder. New issues arise. There are sacrifices of time, money, and energy. And sin we didn't think we had has to be fought to our dying breath. And at times, it just seems like God doesn't notice, He just doesn't care. We might not use the exact words of verse 17. Instead, we may just wonder to ourselves, is it really worth it? And then we slowly ease back from the Christian life as we think, what's to be gained by taking this more seriously? Well, that's the context uh, for our passage this morning. God's people doubting the justice of God and therefore easing back their commitment to living for Him. And in the rest of our time together, we'll be looking at two things. Uh, Firstly, God's response. And then, second of all, uh, our response to God's response. So, it's going to be quite responsive. Uh, So, firstly, what is God's response? Well, let's have a look at verse 17 again. "'You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied Him, you ask?' By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? God's wearied, he's tired, he's fed up, he's had enough. And verse 1 gives us his reply. I will send my messenger, who prepared the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. Says the Lord Almighty. God says, I am coming. Don't doubt it. You ask, Where am I? I'm on my way. I will come. The root of the problem is this God's people are expecting to, expecting to see all of God's justice in the here and now, to be saved from their exile and enjoy a land flowing with milk and honey. But God says, all of my justice will only come when I come. Justice will be given full expression, made as clear as day, in the future, when I come. And so this raises the obvious question, well, when will this happen? When is God going to come? And if we look at verse 1, we see we have a timeline. Firstly, the coming of God's messenger and then secondly, his own coming. This messenger will prepare the way for God, then the Lord will bring what his people desire, complete and everlasting justice. And it's important here to notice how God describes his coming. The way this prophecy is described points to God coming through his appointed king. At the time of Malachi, it was common for the king to have a forerunner. Now, this forerunner would go before the king's carriage and make the journey as smooth as possible they would remove any obstacles and let people know this king was coming and this is the case here the promised messenger is acting as a forerunner preparing the way for god's king and we see this has happened already as we look at the gospel accounts matthew mark luke and john we see god's messenger has come And he has been followed by God's King. So, if you have a Bible, it would be helpful to turn uh, to the Gospels. If we turn to the Gospel of Mark, uh, it's just uh, two books um, after Malachi. And if we just turn to chapter 1, verse 1. And here we will see John the Baptist is identified as this forerunner, as the messenger. So chapter 1, verse 1, Mark writes, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance, For the forgiveness of sins so john the baptist is the messenger who prepares the way for god's king and as we read a bit further we see that the king of malachi 3 has also come have a look with me down at verse 14. after john was put in prison jesus went into galilee proclaiming the good news of god the time has come he said the kingdom of god has come near Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is the King of God's Kingdom. He can proclaim the message that God's Kingdom has come near because He is bringing God's perfect justice. He reveals God's perfect justice as gives sight to the blind, enables the lame to walk, cleanses the leper, raises the dead, makes the deaf hear and brings the good news to the poor. You see this all over jesus ministry but for a time we don't yet see all of this all over the world for all time and we won't until jesus comes again for god's kingdom god's perfect justice will not come in fullness until jesus comes again that will be the day of god's perfect justice And Jesus tells us to be ready for this day when he says, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So let's pause there uh, and bring that together with what we've seen in Malachi. So the people of Malachi were doubting the justice of God in their lives. So they were calling on God to bring his full justice. They look to the world out there and think they're getting away with murder. And they look at themselves and think they're innocent. They're the victims. And as we've just seen, God's response is to appoint a day when his king will come and bring perfect justice. Now, if you uh, are among the people of Malachi and you hear this, you may be thinking, great, finally the Lord is coming. Finally, we'll be vindicated. But Malachi has a shock for them. The coming of God's King is not going to be all fun and games for them. It's not going to be beer and Skittles. So let's turn back to Malachi 3 and have a look with me at verse 2. So Malachi 3, verse 2. But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. God's full, complete, perfect justice will be an unpleasant day for those who are unprepared. People may escape the justice in this world, but no one escapes justice before God. As Hebrews 4 warns, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And this is how it will be for the people of Malachi. Have a look with me at verse 5. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. God's people are not immune from his justice. God knows all our sins. All these crimes listed in verse 5 are clearly stated in God's law. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice. They keep looking to the world out there and complaining of their injustice and their sin. But at the same time, the people of Malachi are committing injustice against their very own neighbours. And God is beckoning them to repent. He warns them so they might turn from their evil and be saved. So, this is God's response He sends a warning of His coming justice a justice that will condemn the evil of his own people. And can you see how this is a great mercy from God? He's not going to be coming to a people unaware of his judgment. And so this is also a mercy for us today. We have been forewarned. God's judgment is coming. Don't live your life ignoring this. But God's mercy does not end there, for he has not left us alone in responding to his judgment, for his king will clean us up. God's desire is to have people who worship him as he should be worshipped, who love him as much as he loves them. And he manages to do this, he achieves this through his son jesus is the one who can remove the dirt of our sin by refining us like gold and silver he burns off our evil like a refiner's fire only jesus is the one who enables us to worship god as he should be worshipped and the great news for us is that jesus has already done this in his first coming he has cleansed us by his death on the cross We deserve nothing less than the death that Jesus faced. Our sin makes us so unclean that we cannot stand before our holy God. As impurities are burned up before the blazing furnace, we too would melt in the midst of God. But Jesus has come. He has taken on our nature. He has taken on the nature of humanity. The God-man Jesus went to the cross as our representative. He bore the full brunt of God's wrath, his anger at our sin. He faced it so we would not have to. And so right now we can be purified if we trust in the blood of Jesus. As 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Right now Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and turn to Him and be cleansed. And going back to Malachi, we have this reality in verses three and four. Then the Lord will have men who will be as in days gone by, as in former years if we trust in Jesus to clean us up, we can look confidently to that day when He returns, the day of God's perfect justice. It's not because anything inherent in us, we haven't made it, so to speak, but Jesus has. Jesus has paid it all. He makes us acceptable before God. And so amazingly, we can do what was once impossible. We can actually please God We can worship him rightly. Isn't that a wonderful transformation that Jesus brings about? But his mission is not yet finished. Sin still remains. We simply just have to turn on the news and see how broken our world is by sin. The situation in Afghanistan, even the effects of COVID. And we simply just have to reflect on our own hearts as well to see that we still struggle to live for God rather than ourselves. And when Jesus returns, he will finish his job. God's people will be unable to sin. But those who are unrepentant will face eternal condemnation. So let's bring all of that together. What is God's response? Well, firstly, it's a warning of his coming justice. He warns us to turn from our wickedness and he provides us a means of cleansing by the death of his son and right now he's deliberately delaying the return of jesus he's delaying this so more people have a chance to hear of this salvation and trust in jesus so that's god's response so what does this mean for us what's our response Well, I think the overwhelming takeaway is a call to humility. We will be judged, every single one of us, both you and me. Jesus needs to send, Jesus needs to come to clean us up. And so we can't pretend we're okay by ourselves. We're blind to how sinful we are, how dirty we are with our sin. Our temptation can be to look at the world out there and scoff at its sinfulness, and then complain when they don't face God's wrath. But when we read this clear warning from God, we cannot be holier than thou. We need humility. We need a reminding of, of the fundamental gospel truth. We are only saved by God's grace, of his cleaning up of us. So can I ask you, What is your attitude to living for God? Perhaps you're just going through the motions. You come to church, but live the rest of your life disregarding God. You don't see any point in committing any more time or energy to Him. Well, God says to you, be warned. I will testify against you. It's not too late. Turn from disregarding the God who sent His Son to save you. Your eternity is at stake. For others, you might be a bit apathetic. You're tired of putting in the effort. You cannot see what you're accomplishing. As you leave for church in the morning, you may think of your neighbour enjoying a nice sleep-in, a slow, easy morning, having their morning coffee, their brunch at a cafe. And you wonder, did they have the better life? Or you come to serve here on a sunday morning or during the week and you wish you really didn't have to you wish you could be free from this burden of service well god said god says to you be reassured living for me makes a difference you may not see the difference now but press on when jesus returns what a glorious day that will be you will see the reward in the face of jesus And the great multitude he has saved. And then there are those among us who are living for God with steadfast hope. God says, Keep going, don't be tempted. Keep looking to that great day of the return of Jesus. On that day, we will see the difference between those who trusted God and those who didn't. What we do while we wait will not go unnoticed or forgotten. Don't fall into the temptation of wearying God by thinking it's just not worth it. Now, if we end there, some of us may be feeling nothing but guilt. We may feel we just have to work harder, be better Christians. But the Christian life is never about our work. It's always about who God is and what he's done. And so I think for us to not give up on the Christian life, we need to be captivated by the glory of God's justice. Only this will give us the right motivation to live for God, to keep trusting in his promises when it seems like it's not worth it. And the book of Malachi ends with this exactly what we need, a wonderful picture of God's justice and mercy. From chapter 3, verse 17, God says, On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as the Father has compassion and spares his Son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace, or the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Isn't this a breathtaking picture of God's justice and mercy? Evil was crushed once and for all, and God's people vindicated and enjoying healing and restoration. This is what Jesus will bring What Jesus brings when he returns. May we be captivated by this vision and live for him until then. Let's pray. Loving Father, you are a God of perfect justice and mercy. Your justice will see every evil condemned and every evildoer crushed. But in your great mercy, you have paid for our sin in Jesus. You crushed him so we wouldn't have to be. We ask for forgiveness for the times we weary you with our doubts, as we doubt your justice in the here and now while we wait. Would the Holy Spirit captivate our hearts with the glory of your justice? May this give us the assurance we need to keep living for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.